Hello and welcome to episode 117 of the Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only co-host tonight, Shane Beeps. Contractually obligated to sing just the two of us. I've messed up the melody or rather the lyrics. Just me and Stan. Dave is out. Yeah, Dave uh Dave's off this week. Dave's got Dave's got life stuff like we all have. We didn't do anything to hurt him. He's totally fine. We have alibis. Dave just couldn't be here. Yeah, he's great. He's got he's got some kind of like like sight sight launch. He's, he has to monitor things. Yeah, Dave's writing code. Yeah. Boop, boop, boop. Zero one. Zero one one zero one. Ten. Launch website. Twenty. Go to ten. That's right. So today's just Shane and Stanislav, which means it's going to be fast and loose. Dave usually keeps us in check, but without him around, like, we can pop off. We can use swear words. Dave, Dave, I don't know how he does it. He's got He's got the busy job. He's got the family. And yet... He keeps us on the straight and narrow, and we only have like 15 pages of notes this week, so 13, 13 pages, so we're going to go off the rails, baby. Every week, we're like, maybe today we don't record two hours, and every week we go over, maybe today finally we'll keep it under two, we'll see. Until we start just riffing about, you know, Heliod matchups and whatnot, our favorite, our favorite, well, no, dude, if we have extra time, we just wind down it, baby. We can wind down, baby. We can wind down, baby. All right. On this week's episode, we are diving deeper into the latest top dog in competitive modern green-white Heliod combo. Astute listeners might recall we have talked about this deck before a couple times, in fact, in both modern and pioneer. So since you already know what the sun crowned can do, we're not going to go through the typical card-by-card treatment that you might be used to with deck dives. Instead, we will be exploring why this particular deck has been so unquestionably strong in this post-Euro modern environment. And really, we're going to try to answer the question, the very important question, how can you beat this deck? We're also going to kick off with a breakdown of the Star City Games Tour Online Historic Satellite Events. It was a weekend of, I want to say, seven or eight tournaments. And Shane meticulously collected a lot of data. He organized some pivot tables. We do have spreadsheets. And frankly, we are not afraid to use them. Before all that, though, it's time for housekeeping. Shout out to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation, Sam M, Caleb M, no relation, and Jack L. Also, big thanks to Shane C for going up a tier. Shane, there's, what? There's other, there's other Shanes? There is another Shane, a local, a local Chicagoan. Shane C is one of those people who I used to see all the time at the LGS, and then because of COVID, I haven't seen them in now more than a year. So it's so discouraging. It's, it's like me and uh, Spencer, one of the awesome citizens of the nation, who I would see fairly regularly at our LGS. Shout out to Mythic Games for staying alive in this past year. Can't wait to go back and support them some more uh, and see Spencer out in the real world the last time i think i saw spencer was uh phoenix when we went to gp phoenix together actually in february shane's glory days won't let us yeah, forget the, that one time the, he did yeah, well the, at the GP. one time he day uh we have no new reviews this week uh if you like us if you if you like us enough to say nice or constructive things about us head on over to your podcast review 
site of choice. I think that's really only like Apple podcasts. Um, and, uh, you know, tell us what you think. We love to read it. Uh, speaking of the citizens of the nation, you can join the dive down nation over at patreon.com slash the dive down. You know, we mentioned the new patrons, Sam M, Caleb M, Jack L, uh, Shane C went up a tier, uh, in the old citizenry citizenship. And if you want to get access to the super secret Slack server, if you want to get episodes early at the $5 tier, if you want to get some sweet tokens and signed cards and pins and whatnot, you can see all that stuff over at our Patreon, patreon.com slash the dive down. You know, this episode would not be possible if not for the loyal support of one of our favorite sponsors, and that's Mana Traders. I love Mana Traders. Love it. Modern episode, we got to rent this deck. You too can support the show while playing Magic with a Mana Traders rental subscription. If you sign up with coupon code the dive down, all one word, you'll get 15% off your first three months of Magic Online rental. Check that out at Mana Traders. The other way to play and support is with Untapped. Check out untapped.thedivedown.com to download the Magic Arena companion software. Track your performance. Look at other deck performances. Sometimes you don't even want to look at your own performance because it's it's so lackluster, like me this month. Yeah. Well, I always delete that data, so I have uh, inflated <laughs> win rate. Oh, yeah, man. I guess you, you can delete individual deck data. I need to start doing that. I've been, I've been testing a lot of stuff in historic this month for the some for the pod like doing the the shadow stuff last week and man numbers aren't looking that good for me (laughs) but i i have some ideas and a lot of those ideas are derived from the breakdown this week we had i'm just this is a neat transition stan okay so you don't have to even you don't have to team me up okay so uh scg held another one of their 5k championship qualifiers this weekend in the historic format and what this means is uh they have about they had eight separate satellite swiss tournaments and all the players in there with 12 or more match points which means four or more wins basically because you cannot do like an intentional draw or anything like that or even a draw i don't think unless you somehow what if you what if you lost on game three at the same time? I believe because these tournaments are run over MTG Melee. Yeah. On that platform, you can ID. Really? I don't think anyone did though. I looked. I didn't see any. I didn't see any. Uh, and you know, XX ones. So what's you know, historic's essentially an arena tournament, right? I mean, excuse me, an arena ladder format, right? And so we have a lot of like smallish sample size data, and it's skewed by our own experiences. It's skewed by the experiences of like our friends, uh, people we're talking to on the super secret Slack server, and that can really color our opinions. Like, so gruel sucks. Now elves rules. Jun sack seems kind of bad. Angels is tier zero control seems kind of good. I think shadows, maybe not for real, but maybe it's too early to tell. These are all the kind of things that I think you and I have been hearing Stan and perhaps saying ourselves <laughs> over the over the past few weeks, right? That's true. I have said all those things. <laughs> Every one of them in a row, in the same intonation as me. Uh, so what's good about a huge event like this is it gives us a lot of data to look at and to learn from and to see what happens when we get off the ladder and start getting real in the crucible <laughs> of tournament play. I think Puck was there. Um, so since 
all this data is available via MTG Melee. Uh, awesome site. Shout out to Melee. Shout out to SCG for doing this. We were able to produce the satellite metagame and then also the championship qualifier metagame as well. And if you want to get real in the weeds, and I have to let someone else do this, probably like MTG Data uh, on Twitter will do this, is you can see the matchups. So you can get matchup data in the end as well. One of the cool things about the MTG Melee data platform as well is that you can actually see the entire tournament's results after each individual satellite. So there's time between you know tournament one and tournament two or three. If you want to see what people are playing and what they're successful with, that could help inform your decision in the middle of the weekend. Yeah. And what's wild is I saw, you saw a lot of this too, right? Like, so what's interesting about the this tournament setup is that players could enter as many of these satellites as they wanted, and they could change decks into the qualifier event on Sunday as well. So we can't like really get a conversion rate, but what we can see is how many people may have changed their selection, like based on their experiences or the results of those satellite events over the weekend. Uh, we also are able to look at what event, what decks earned 12 match points or better in the satellites. And then we can look at what performed well in, in the championship qualifier as well. So we have a lot of data where we can see how did things start? Where did things end up? Uh, what decks were sort of overperforming, underperforming, and what were people doing well with across the whole weekend? And, you know, it's Sunday evening right now. We're recording on Sunday more often than Monday now. And the, the tournament actually has not finished. But I don't even think that matters. Like, I mean, top eight's cool and all. But I think really getting a cross-section of the performance across the Swiss and the Swiss of uh, the, the qualifier event today on Sunday is more important. But shout out to all of those people uh, who are going to finish in the the top eight, you know, get some get some cash. And I think they qualify for yet another event in the future, perhaps some kind of arena event. Yeah, I think it's like the path to Pro Tour. So it's like a, a PTQ is what you qualify for if you win uh, today's tournament. Yeah, I mean, and there's and there's five thousand bucks in here too. Like that's not too shabby to win uh, some section of that. I wouldn't mind. I think I think when I cashed, I think I split like 100, 150 bucks with somebody. I mean, that was pretty cool. Anyway, um, so that was less than my entry fee, by the way. So let's start with the Swiss meta. Um, we had a one thousand fifty three decks across wow. eight tournaments. That's a lot of people entering. And again, some people entered multiple times. So, but they did bring different decks from time to time. I actually looked at some people who entered three satellite events and they had three different decks, something like that. Um, Stan, be prepared for some numbers, okay? You got some numbers? You ready for some numbers? I'm holding my pen. I'll write things down if you need me to. Yeah, thanks. 23.5% Jund, Sacrifice, slash Company, slash Food. Okay, so we have three different names here, right? I, I, looked, <laughs> I looked at a lot of these lists to try to determine if there were ways where I could actually split this up more granularly. But honestly, there weren't. Like the food decks basically never had collected company, but not all of the sacrifice decks did either. They often did. So I'm sort of just looking at this collection of three deck types as sort of the same strategic goal with some 
subtle differences in how they reach that goal. Like the food engine, it seems to rely more on trail of crumbs as like the draw and filtering engine. It's going to have stuff like Gilded Goose for creating food and using that food. Decks like Coco and typically Sacrifice, of course, are relying on the card advantage and the card sort of filtering aspects of Collected Company to try to get those onboard uh, combos at even instant speed as well. So 23.5% is a lot for an open Swiss meta. This is, That's kind of like this is the percentage we see as like, you know, this is our tier one, tier zero almost when we see modern decks like is it Phoenix or something like that, where it's like, okay, something is a little bit potentially wrong here. But have you played Sacrifice? I can't recall whether that's in your repertoire. I have played, I did, I have tinkered with Rakdos Sack a f- like a few months ago, but it never was a thing that I was like, I need to learn this in and out. It's one of the things that I have the pieces for, the majority of the pieces for, and it's probably just one of those things that if I don't need to craft a lot, I probably should, mainly because I need, I should probably learn how this deck works more fundamentally because clearly a lot of people respect it. Yeah. Why do you ask? Well, I'm just thinking about Trail of Crumbs as an alternative to Coco. You know, you can play it early. It works really well with the Cat Oven combo specifically, while also letting you dig through your deck a little bit. Yeah, one of the more interesting things, too, that I I think I kind of left off the table is Binding of the Old Gods, as Mm. a two or three of, is typically seen in these food decks as well. And that is a four mana, uh, I think it's two uh, and Golgari mana, two Golgari, and it does stuff like it removes a permanent and then does some other stuff. I think it, I think the last thing gives your creatures death touch, like big deal. Type yeah, thing? I don't know. So story chapter one is destroy a creature. Chapter yeah. two is fetch a forest, and that includes non basic forests. And then chapter three is give your creatures death touch. Yeah, I mean apparently four mana vindicate. Where, you know, is uh, a format of like Maelstrom Pulse type thing. I don't know why is that. Why is that so good? Do you think, Stan? Well, I think it's an it's a two for one because it not only <gasps> for four mana, I hope so. Yes. Not only does it destroy a creature, but it's actually any non-land permanent, but it, uh, it also gets yeah. you a forest. So even though you're just, you know, getting air from it, you are essentially replacing a card in your hand, sure. assuming it sticks around, but who's just destroying this thing, you know, to prevent them from catching a forest. Not me. I don't know. I think that, I mean, the, the sagas are interesting in that they are, permanence at least for a while until they until they go away and so that lets you do certain special things with them like of course that's the kind of thing that you know second rodeo in our in our uh, twitch chat if you want to check out our uh, twitch chat you can always go to the dive down underscore shane uh, when we go live we we tweet it out we uh, put it in the super secret slack server of course and you can hang out with us there um so like let's say you're doing like a, a yorian build like if you're doing like some kind of four color control or maybe even like a three would that be three color yeah it could be three color could be let's say your obzon control deck because yorian is a hybrid mana right yeah blue white yeah it could be salt eye could be your uh um whatever obzon very popular in the historic meta game anyway yeah so sagas are always cool they're always around and they do cool things and like you said it's a it's a two for one anyway mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. spending a lot of time on jun sack company food but we will spend more time on that as we move along okay yeah we'll come back to junt oh it was oh i think i think once or twice um next up in the swiss meta again of the swiss of the saturday and friday night tournaments azorius control at 9.7 percent 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I've been pretty convinced that control is in a pretty good spot right now, very good spot, honestly. Lots of efficient sweepers, lots of interactive spells, lots of planeswalkers to take over that long game. I think a lot of players seem to agree here. Uh, it's the second most popular strategy across these satellites. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly how the Azorius and Jund matchup plays out. I do know that there have been a lot of very popular board-based creature decks in Historic, and Azorius just cleans them up. You know, Angels and Elves and Gruul are all pretty vulnerable to sweepers and yeah counter magic as well yeah i think that's an important thing that you mentioned now that i think we'll see repeat and have sort of echoes and impact across the metagame that we see here because there's some stuff that i expected to see that i did not and i think that the the prevalence and popularity of control decks across the weekend is a big reason for that because next up 4.8 percent sultai ultimatum this is a Basically a Sultai control strategy it has the interactive spells, has the sweepers, has the ramp. And the goal here is to get Emergent Ultimatum online. That's a black, black, green, 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 blue, blue spell. If you're counting at home, at seven mana. Once that's cast, the player is able to tutor up three different monocolored cards and then cast the two of those that the opponent does want. Basically, the opponent doesn't want you to cast any of them. Weird, right? Uh, And they get to pick one that you cannot cast, and that's frequently good game Uh, because you can get anything. You can get you know some some giant honker of a eight mana you uh, spell that makes you an eight eight kraken with hexproof type thing that gets to stick around. There's just lots of ways for the deck to either win or turn the corner in a really significant way. So it's like it's essentially get to seven mana that can cast a spell and likely win the game. And that's kind of ported over from standard. And that's been a standard strategy for a little while. And we're seeing kind of the improved version of it here. And 4.8% is a significant amount for a deck that I've honestly never played against on the ladder. I was just going to say the same thing. I kind of didn't know that this deck existed. And I feel like between the two of us, we play a lot of ladder and even some events on Arena. And I haven't seen anyone cast Saltai Ultimatum against me since Uro got banned. And back then it was like, sometimes in certain Uro piles. I played against it in standard. It sucks to face down there for sure. It's it's very easy, it seems, for the control deck to control what you're doing and then turn the corner very hard with the ultimatum. But moving on, 4.7% Gruul Aggro. Uh, it's like you think, it's Gruul Aggro. Uh, it's still around. This is the number one sort of aggressive creature strategy we are seeing uh, if you don't consider, I consider Sacrifice sort of more of an engine deck than an aggressive deck. 4.4% Bant Control. This appears to be kind of, you know, the Bant ramp slash control strategy to, you know, stick Planeswalkers, keep the board clear with Sweepers, get Yorian value, long game, that kind of thing. 3.8% Selesnia or Bant Angels. I combined them here. You know, 3.8%, a lot of people have been talking about this deck as being one of the premier strategies in Historic. Uh, it's, I think, is a pretty normal metagame share uh, share here at about three point eight percent. A little surprised, even. Yeah, I, I yeah. was thinking it would be more popular, especially more popular than something like Gruul, because yeah, I, for sure, I think Angels is better than Gruul. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that Angels, I feel, has a nearly, I'm not gonna say unbeatable. Let's say seventy thirty against Gruul. Like mm-hmm. I, I've played Gruul against it quite a bit. You have to get a very particular draw as Gruul to beat it and Selesnya company um, or excuse me, the Selesnya angels or band angels does not, right? Mm-hmm. Like they can get a very normal draw and you have to get a very specific draw. I think that 
with the popularity of control that we're seeing, I think that that is a particular weakness of the Angels deck. And that's, I think, um, it's not what made people only bring it 3.8%, but I think it's a reason that we might have seen it not succeed. That's a little bit of a spoiler. Um, up next, 3.7% Selesnia Company. This is a non-Angel, so the Great Henge Coco beatdown strategy. Good deck. I think it's cool. I think it thrives in a somewhat different meta than this. Like, I think the people who brought this were probably expecting maybe a little bit more of a gruel meta, honestly, or a small creature meta because it just, you know, go a little bit slower and you are going to win in the end. Yeah, this Celestia Company deck I think is really interesting and perhaps even a little underplayed just in general. And we were talking about this in the Slack, you know, this week, people comparing it a little bit to modern taxes, even though it's not necessarily stretching resources the way you might expect a modern tax deck to play. Um, the way it plays Hate Bears, the way it plays uh, Skyclave Apparition, and the two-drop that puts a counter at the start of every combat. <laughs> yeah, that one is uh, is brutal. Yeah, it just, the board gets out of control really quickly. A lot of must-answer threats. I think the deck is really cool. And I, I also think just Skyclave Apparition, any deck that can run it efficiently, is elevated because that card answers practically everything in the format. Yeah, it's brutal. I think, I mean, this is kind of a little cart before the horse type thing, but I think that one of the reasons that uh, I think it's a little bit less successful here or less prevalent is I think people might have been expecting combo and this lacks haste in the way that Gruul gets access to more haste. So sure, Coco is great and outclassing other creature decks slowly is great, but you have to be in that kind of meta. Speaking of creature decks, Orzov Aura is a 3.2% uh, perennial good deck and still is showing up here at 3.2 2.7 goblins in the swiss i think you know what that does 2.5 percent rakdos arcanist um the everyone's favorite slow mid-range strategy lots of long game value here um meter 2.5 1.9 percent mono red aggro i've been messing around a bit with mono red aggro i'm happy to see it gain some popularity recently some of them have been ports of this red snow deck from standard and using the better threats that historic has but not all of these that i saw are snow based some of them are just beatdown decks like let me just get out let me, my my four drop is some torbrins i might have some ember cleaves might have some chandra fours uh those snow decks had access to faceless haven which is really hard to interact with as a control deck you know, you, you sweep the board, but Faceless Haven's still there to beat down as a 4-3. Frostbite's there for efficient creature interaction. Uh, I think these decks are pretty good, um, and 1.9% and of the field agreed. 1.8% Green Elves. Mildly surprised to see this this low, Stan. I think a lot of people, at least in our Slack, have been realizing Elves is uh, seemingly pretty potent right now. Filling the board, attacking in pretty hard, going wide. Elves is good. I would also expect it to be better. It's kind of like angels in my mind in terms of these really powerful up-and-coming creature decks that I would think would be more prevalent than Gruul Aggro. Start to wonder, though. I start to wonder how much of this may be because of the economy. People kind of marry to one or two decks. Tough for them to break out into. Yeah, I mean, it's not the Pro Tour, right? Like, it's it's still... Like, if I wanted to make Green Elves, I'd probably have to open, like, you know, a lot of packs... Right. And so like you don't always have a hundred, hundred fifty bucks to make twenty wilds appear in your bank account. Four color control also one point eight percent. This is appears to sort of be like a variety of like trade binder, like control ramp sweeper planeswalker style decks. Uh kind of pick what you like. 
in four colors and lean hard on the triomes for your mana fixing uh 34% other hey fairly arbitrary on my part uh that was any deck with less than 1.5% meta share there's a lot of different decks here though i mean there's everything from like mardu vehicles to mono black vampires to nine lives to mono red ramp which we'll talk about in a little bit a lot of decks people are considering to be playable in historic like there's a there's a lot of decks here um yeah I think I, I kind of gave my general thoughts, I think, on this. But the overall metagame, I don't love seeing Jund at 23%. Uh, if Let's say it was like at 15 and we had the rest of this field like this. I would be pretty happy with this. But it's a, it's not a great start. And I think we'll see this trend continue across the, the rest of the data. Any thoughts here, Stan? Yeah, I would say the one other deck that I'm surprised hasn't come up is this new Mono Black Vampires deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah that I think is really aggressive. It's, it's nice mix of low to the ground threats. Three mana Soren as just this insane value engine. Card draw off of your, your what is it? The champion of whatnot and also of the castle. Locked Thwain. Castle Locked Thwain. Plus it's another Thoughtseize deck. So you can yeah. play a little hand disruption with your control package. I've been really impressed yeah. with it lately. I would think that it might be a little bit more prevalent, but. I guess the no, field isn't not picking in it the up. Swiss. All right. Well, we're already at, you know, we're good at talking about stuff. So I'm going to kind of breeze through. This is the four, two or better in the Swiss. This is kind of like the stuff that was in the Swiss. I did well. We have our Jund variance at 28.5%. That's a big jump of 5% out of the field. These Jund sacrifice strategies perform really well. Azorius control at about 9.6 stays even. Gruel aggro at 6.3. That's a 1.6% bump. Uh, don't count our stompy friends out just yet. Salta ultimatum at 4.2, falls off a little bit. Goblins, 3.9%, up 1.2%. Goblins did pretty well in the Swiss. Orzov Oros, 3.6, a little bit up. Bant Control, 3.6, a little bit down. Angels, 3.6, about equal. Selesnia Company, 3.3, four color control. Here's an interesting one. Four color control went from 1.8 to 2.7% of the four and two or better field. A raise about 1%. Well, about 1%. Good rise here for control strategies. Other decks that showed up here in the four or two or better. Rakdos Arcanist, Mono Red Aggro, Green Elves, Mono Blue Tempo uh, did well out of the field. It was only 0.8%. It ended up being 1.5% of our four or two and better decks. And we will see a Mono Blue Tempo do well later as well. 23.4% other. So we saw the other category shrink, even though my cutoff was still 1.5%. So anyway, that's the Swiss. Um, my the, my thoughts on the good, the well-performing decks in the Swiss are, we saw 20% basically of the non-other category of the control decks here. And I think that's pretty good. Like, I'm, I'm lumping Salta Ultimatum and the control strategies here, but we have, you know, we have Azorius control, we have Salta Ultimatum, we have four color control, we have Bant control, and I think control is a real player in Historic right now, and I don't think that people were taking it very seriously before Kaldheim. Yeah, I wonder if that's because the metagame, albeit diverse, with a lot of decks out there, it's also kind of predictable in that we know what some of the absolute best decks are especially the control players do. And that's an environment that you get to capitalize on when you're a seasoned control player. So you can evaluate when our sweeper is going to be more effective than counter magic or vice versa. What are the best walkers and which colors are worth splashing in this type of environment? 
So I think this might be a, a, a very control favorable environment in general because you have a really good idea of what you're probably going to encounter at different points of the ladder. Stan, correct me if I'm wrong. Wrath of God is not pioneer legal, right? It's only historic legal. Correct. Pioneer yeah. does have supreme verdict. Yeah, pioneer, supreme verdict, but not wrath of God. So and yeah, yeah, easier to regenerate creatures, I would say. Yeah, see, he's <laughs> all the regeneration creatures. So all of you uh, Rakshasa Death Dealer fans uh, from Cons of Tarkir get to regenerate that guy. But I, I think what I guess what I'm getting at is that there's surprising access to I think even more legitimate sweepers in potentially in historic than there are in pioneer even will you elaborate because i think the only difference is wrath of god and supreme verdict yeah i mean but supreme verdict forces you into a certain into having to play azorius and while azorius is the most popular here i think that being able to play sort of mono white with if you want to do doom scar if you want to do the doom scar thing if you want to do the extinction event Thing. Yeah. And also, but then, like you said, is like, then you can sort of say, well, I have my, my white base sweepers, but then I don't have to be Zorius. I could be, mm-hmm. you know, I could do four color, maybe a little bit more easy. I don't have to rely on having a Zorius mana all the time. I think it's a little bit more flexible. I think that, uh, and then it's also just the mana efficiency, right? Where it's like, I mean, of course, Supreme Verdict is four mana. Uh, Wrath of God sort of replaces that in a, in a fashion. Can't be countered, but a lot of our creature-based decks are not holding up counter magic, unless you're like maybe blue tempo or something like that, which we'll talk about later. Anyway, um, I think 28.5% of Jund Sack food's a little bit sketchy in terms of our Swiss representation here. Uh, you know, it's 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 good, and we'll, we're going to keep bringing this deck up in the next two points about this big historic tournament. And then I like I like Salta Ultimatum sort of appearing mildly out of the blue to be a significant player here. Is Sultai the deck that on Friday morning we thought had zero wins, and then we just it found out been. that there was a, a data issue? That was not <laughs> the case. Um, yeah, Fire Shoes, at Fire Shoes on Twitter, um, always working hard to collect, collect some data. I think they were like, they, they were spitting out some some good data, and then like they had a follow-up tweet like, yeah, we had a data problem. Uh, this deck was not 0 and 27 or something like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, thankfully, it also wasn't Gruel. I was kind of afraid. Okay. Stan, let's head into this qualifier, the Sunday event. 301 players got through the Swiss with 12 match points or better. Note that these players could select new decks for the qualifier. So this isn't necessarily like the uh, the decks that we see here aren't like the decks that they had brought into those uh, qualifying events or rather the, the satellite events. 28% rather, Jun Food Company SAC variants, even higher than before. 7.3% Azorius Control, that's down a bit. 6.6% Gruel Aggro, 4% Salti Ultimatum, 4% Goblins, 3.3% Four Color Control and Angel Variants, 3% Orzov Auras. Man, I'm reading a lot of percents here, Stan. This is, I'm just going to keep running with this, okay? Then we have Selesnia Company, Mono Red Aggro, Mono Red Ramp. Okay, take a little break here, Mono Red Ramp, okay? By the data I had, Mono Red Ramp had five copies across all of the satellites. 0.5%. In the 12 in the 12 plus points or better list or, or four four or four wins or better list, there was a single copy, 0.3%. Apparently eight people saw these kind of lists. They were amped enough about this deck to bring it to the championship qualifier on Sunday. And the way this deck works is basically just kind of like a monocolored 
kind of ramp deck. Like it has Mindstone, it has Guardian Idol. Maybe they might have a few Cold Steel Hearts or something like that. And do a little bit of control with like Scorching Dragonfire, Anger of the Gods, stuff like that. And then you start resolving your cards like Chandra 4, Chandra 6, your Ugins, maybe your Karn, Scion of Urza, your Ugin the Ineffable, all that kind of good colorless or red-based uh, controlling or card advantage Planeswalkers. The deck seems cool, but I thought it was yeah. wild that seven people, in addition to the one person, uh, just pivoted to this deck. And they were like, we're going to bring this thing. Is this also the deck that has that cascading cataracts cleansing wildfire combo where you try Ooh. to cleansing wildfire your own indestructible land to draw a card? And Yeah, I definitely, definitely saw the, cas- the cataracts. So that makes sense as well. Yeah, I like it. That's, that's kind of like that's like the uh, flagstones combo or something like that mm-hmm, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Get some value. Your your dark steel citadel combo. Anyway, a uh, couple couple percent Rakdos Arcanist, couple percent green elves, blue tempo at one point seven percent on Sunday. Crazy. Uh, band control, and then twenty six percent other anything that's sub point one five one point five percent meta share on the Sunday qualifier event. So. Pretty decent here. I don't love the increased percentage of Jund sacrifice strategies, but by and large, everything else is pretty similar. We saw a good good selection of other strategies. Final bunch of data I'm going to throw at you. So forgive me for all these numbers, but I, I feel like you follow along at home. I love it. We the we people, had we had the people 50, want numbers. We had 51 out of the 301 went six x or better. So. They went uh, 18, 18 match points or better. There was nine rounds of Swiss on the day. So they went at a 66% win percentage or better. Jun, this is this is not great. Okay, not great. Jund variance, 37.25%. That's an increase of 9% over the initial field. Azorius control, 9.8%, increase of 2.5% on the field. What, an, what a consistent deck Azorius yes. control was all weekend. Hovering between like 8 and 10%, just getting the job done. Salta Ultimatum, 5.9%, up about 2. Pretty good. Had a good conversion rate into the 6x or better. Goblins, same, 5.9, an increase of about 2% as well. Gruel, also 5.9. That's actually lower than it was in the field on Sunday about by 0.7%. Selesnia Company, not Angels, 3.9%, an mm. increase of one2 uh, Orzov Auras, 3.9%, increase of about one. Mono Red Ramp, 3.9% of our 6x or better. That's an increase of 1.2 over the field. Uh, previously, mostly unknown deck did as well as one of, I think, the most popular decks on the ladder in Orzov Auras. And then 25.5% other decks with one copy or fewer. So we have that. Not great. <laughs> 37% Stan, Jund Variants. Uh, finishing at 6x or better. There were a lot of Jund players in the field. Yes. And I think that's a really important caveat to make, right? It's not like a handful of Jund players swept it. It's that there was just more Jund players than anything else. Yeah, um, I'm, I, I need to do some kind of modeling on how much mirror matches impact our like expected conversion rate. You know what I mean? Like, So, of course, if there's that many Jund pilots, they're going to face each other during the Swiss but how much should that impact the expected conversion rate type thing? Anyway, uh, we, we now record on Sunday evening. The event's not over. Our top eight, Stan, you're going to love this, okay? Here's our top eight. Uh-oh. Jun, Jun Food, Sultai Ultimatum, Mono Red Aggro. This is an aggressive deck. 
for Thermo Alchemist, for Soulscar Mage, for Chandra's Incinerator. Stan, remember that spell? Yeah, that's the free one. That yeah, also- and technic- yeah, potentially free. For Bomat Courier, for G2 Lava Mancer, two Grim Lava Mancer, G2 Lava Runner, rather, for Grim Lava Mancer. Bunch of burn stuff, you know, like some shocks and some stuff like that. Light up the stage. This deck looks sick. I will be testing this deck on ye old ladder. Um, uh, another deck, our I think fourth place coming out of the Swiss was Mono Blue Tempo. Kind of, this is kind of like a Blue Spirits list. It's got the Tempo spells and of course some Faceless Haven. I think this deck could maybe technically, mathematically run four Faceless Haven. It only had two. Uh, it did have four Ascendant Spirits forming that snowy foundation. Okay, but then here's our here's our bottom. Here's the next four. Okay, Jun Company, Jun Company, Jun Food, Jun Food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that is five out of the top eight are Jun Food slash Company strategies. Not my favorite. What are you thinking when you see this kind of stuff, Stan? <sighs> a little surprise. I'm I'm a little surprised. It, yeah, right. So I'm seeing in chat. Stefan says that they did some number crunching and Jund was twenty and seven against blue white control. My goodness. And I do think, though, that on the other hand, these creature decks that you and I are very fond of, that we're seeing underrepresented here, mm-hmm. generally do well against some of these Jun strategies because they get too big to pick off by Mayhem Devil and too wide to lose to uh, Priest of the Forgotten Gods, you know, making you edict creature. Yeah, at, at times. Yeah, for sure. You can find yourself in bad spots, of course. Yeah. So I wonder if it was just a matchup roulette that went very favorably for Jund, that it didn't have a hostile environment and the environment that the control players were hoping to beat up on, which may be creature decks, weren't as present either. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is we are our two most popular decks, we're, we're getting like another triumvirate, I think, meta, right? Which is sort of like control is going to eat creature decks alive. Some creature decks can, can, can beat Jund, because mm-hmm. they either have enough bodies to avoid the sacrifice engine or they can out aggro it or they have access to ember cleave and sort of like force a bad block and then win in that fashion or something like that. So we have control decks beat creature decks, control decks don't beat Jund sacrifice decks and creature decks can beat up on Jund by and large. And so that's probably, I think kind of where we're at, which is, you know, creature, aggressive creature, control, and sack engine. And that sounds like a, that's like where we were before. I mean, sort of, in terms of we had our Sultai ramp slash control deck, and that's been replaced by the Azorius or Bant or four color variants. Mm-hmm. And that's just where we're at, is like Sultai control is no longer where we're at. And just like in modern, Uro doesn't exist. And so we have some other, we have to make it, make our control decks some something else and they're honestly a lot better performing wise than they are in modern right now so control majors are are having a heyday i think that they they are in a good spot in historic especially on the latter i think if they want to deal with slightly slower games is they yes. know they're not going to face 28 percent jun sacrifice at least on the normal ladder maybe in maybe in mythic who knows i kind of doubt it yeah i mean Jun Sack was like an outrageous performer this weekend, just largely, right? Like it, it was the most popular deck by a wide margin, and I think outperformed everything else by a good amount as well. Right. And we know why it's popular too, right? It's so consistent in what it does, and it creates sure. this crazy engine that a lot of deck other decks have a hard time keeping up with. And if it ever gets any other deck on the back foot, whether it's Mayhem Devil, 
cat oven combo, anything else. It just creates these engines, these loops that uh, give it a ton of advantage. Yeah, and like you said, Stan, you indicated earlier is like, well, some some creature decks, like let's say elves, can just make enough things that like let's say a, a claim the mm-hmm. firstborn is not that backbreaking. But there's definitely a lot of times when I faced it as let's even with gruel, where it's like, okay, well, I have a few threats, but then they're like, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal one of your threats, I'm gonna claim it, and then I'm going to I'm gonna sacrifice it, and then you're gonna have to sacrifice something because one of the things I sacrificed. Uh, with priest of the forgotten gods was you know one of your two creatures blah 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 and so it's it's really there's a lot of options there I do think the go wide decks have probably a better fight uh, against it or if you're on the play or you just get enough uh, you get you get enough down in time right. then you're going to be fine against it so I think it's interesting that the food style strategy was definitely the most prevalent and winningest variant like binding of the old gods who would have thought that this is a pretty legitimate seeming card apparently um one thing i thought was was interesting that got mentioned um i think again by stefan was that giving mayhem devil death touch on that third is pretty cool because you know it's pinging stuff it doesn't matter that it you know it's an x6 or something like that pretty cool pretty cool little strategy pretty 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 good but 37% is pretty scary for the the 6x or better field on Sunday. If it was me, I would, you know, you can't you can't out yourself on this deck, but Watsy could very realistically say, like, why aren't we suspending something right now? Right? You know what I mean? Like they have suspension in historic, they have the ability to do so. They have the incentive to do so. You know mm. what I'm saying? Like they could say, like, we want people to be focusing on the historic anthology. Let's sort of mix things up. And I think, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's a lot of players who play arena very seriously who would balk too much at saying like, yeah, let's mix up historic. Why not? Yeah. I mean, cat oven was banned in standard. So there is some precedent there. Yeah. What do you think the thing is to ban? I mean, like, I I don't, I don't really want to put you on the spot, but like, what's kind of like your gut? I kind of hate the oven part of cat oven in particular. <laughs> I do hate the oven because that's, I mean, that's like that. That's one of the sack outlets for the claim, right? It's like give them one less thing to like steal something, sack it, blah, blah, blah. Right. Because I still think, you know, claim is cool and being able to pair claim with something like Woe Strider or even, um, God, what's that land? Frexian. Frexian Poopadoop. That Temple? always makes me upset. Yeah. Citadel. You forget it's there. Right. I, I just think one fewer engine to have like the cat oven combo, yeah. but still be able like, to yeah. play some kind of sack deck. I think. Why do we re- why do we need rule of 16? Right. Right. I mean, there is also the fact that Jund is hateable, right? Graveyard hate is pretty good against the sack decks because it yeah, shuts off cat. It shuts off the escape on Woe Strider. So I think that's important. Yasharn, great card, just stops that deck cold. Yeah, I'm curious how many of the Gruel decks, like the, the Gruel deck that I've been actually messing with on ladder the most is sort of doing like a more or less free splash for a number of white pathways. And the only white card I have is Yasharn in the sideboard. Mm-hmm. And it's the kind of thing where it's like, you know what? I realize if I just sort of take out some basics, the splash is basically free. Like unless I'm getting like all my basics peel out of the deck and there's might be one out of... 50 games where it's like well i wish i had another basic right but you can say like you can you with pathways you have the ability 
to get some of the freest splashes possible. And having access to the Usharn is an interesting out against the Sack type deck. But again, I haven't really seen Sack on the ladder that much recently where I am, uh, in Platt at least. And so I'm sort of fighting my way up to maybe where the, the Sack peeps are. But I think that's it's definitely a tool as well, where it's like, hey, you know, we have Graveyard, we have Usharn. Some of these four-color control decks are running Usharn as well to take out that engine offline or Bant. Shane, it's Phyrexian Tower, by the way. Oh, thank you. Anyway, um, uh, this ultimatum deck seems legitimate. If you like that sort of brutal style of ramp control and really turning the corner hard by casting a single spell, uh, control in general, I think is just legitimate, right? Like, especially Azorius. I've suspected this. It's nice to see it confirmed where it's like, I think control mages can feel happy that they have these tools to stop a wide variety of strategies right now. Yes. Running eight rats can be good. Can be good. Can, Stan. I think all the people who have been saying that Goblins is still pretty scary appear to be right. Uh, elves didn't make a super strong showing on the weekend, but Goblins, I think, you know, was pretty darn good. Uh, I think you still can't count Gruul out. It put up strong numbers all weekend. It's still the aggressive creature strategy of choice, in my opinion. Um, Stan, stuff I thought that was missing, Shadow. I think if Shadow was going to have a breakout weekend, it was going to be this one. And it was 1.8% of the Swiss four wins or better group. All I need it was four wins. Only 1.8%. 3% of the day two pilots on Sunday brought shadow variants. None of them performed with six wins or better. Uh, the best we saw on Sunday was a Rakdos deck at 5-3 and an Orzov deck at 4-3. So not super great there. Uh, we'll, well, I guess we'll have to keep watching to see if shadow is a thing. I don't know if it really is. It might be more, this, the juice might not be worth the squeeze, as people say. One of the last parting thoughts that I want to, you know, chew with you before we get out of the breakdown. Do you feel like this data is actionable beyond the notion that deck X, Y, and Z might be generally strong? Yeah. Because I wonder the way Arena works, you know, I think it's generally a good thing that there's a lot of people on Arena. Yeah. Thousands, hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands of players? At least 50. <laughs> At least 51, I'd even say. I just I, mean, I, I just mean like, so we see that Jun Sack is really popular in this one weekend. I don't think that means we're going to see an uptick in Jun Sack yeah, on Arena because, be, because it's so diverse of a player base in the first place. So I think it's yeah. really cool that these events are happening, but I'm not sure it's necessarily something we need to lose sleep over. And it maybe it might just be entirely in Watsi's court to make sure that there isn't, you know, any deck that is tier zero too unfun and maybe potentially more broken than anything else that's happening out there. I mean, this is a show for the casual spike, right? So we have, we have a certain segment of, of people that, you know, we are, and we imagine our listeners are. And so I don't think this is the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, I'm going to, I have the full collection. I'm going to easily pivot. I'm, I'm switching decks on the regular because I'm trying to game the meta. What I think we, I think this could do is potentially give people Something to say, well, I'm kind of floundering with this deck that I'm using. Like I have, I have mono blue tempo and it's not killing it that much. What should I be thinking about? Like, should I be thinking about John food? Should I be thinking about something like a mono red aggro? Should I be thinking about, um, a Selesnia? Like what, what best fits my play style mm-hmm. and what, what is also not going to be frustrating to play on the ladder. And so if you're someone who has to, like us, we we have to, we watch our budget. We're not just like making it rain with Patreon money 
on this thing. Like I'm out of wilds right now and I'm just sort of waiting. Like I've got, I've got enough. I've got enough. Like I, would I want to play Selesnya company? Yeah. yeah. I would love to. Me too. Um, but you know, I'm not going to do it because it's like 20 wilds I don't have. And so I'm just, I'm just sort of holding, holding strong with what I've got. But if you, if you are a player who's more judicious with their budget and their wilds, you can say what's performing well that also fits my play style and use data like this to sort of make decisions on. But I think like you said, Stan, is like the, the latter is still a weird thing, right? The latter is is a unique environment that is different than a tournament environment. But I think you can also say what's going to win like if let's say you're just a ladder grinder. Let's just say you're playing you you wanna you wanna grind up to mythic, even diamond or something like that, right? Like what's gonna make that less frustrating? And the difference between fifty seven percent and fifty three percent is actually significant. So you can say like you know what 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 is the best choice for me right now in my my goals? Yeah, my advice is play elves. Elves is good. I, I have a proposed nickname for ladder grinders. Can we call them contractors? Like you know the type of people that climb a ladder, build a house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or me like hanging hanging holiday lights, something like that. All right, good work, Shane. Thank you for crunching all those numbers. A lot of data, fun to talk about. Let's see what happens. Strixhaven comes out like next tuesday it feels like so really we, yeah i mean we're gonna have previews soon preview episodes coming out my favorite episodes because we get to put ourselves on the record with some opinions <laughs> right and i only say that because even if jund is crazy strong right now we might see some new technology that can provide a little bit of a shake-up as well Alrighty, we're gonna take a quick break and when we return we are diving into modern heliod company we've talked about it before but you've waited long enough. We're going to tell you how to beat this deck, if you even can. Uh, spoiler alert, it's hard. Stay with us. So we haven't played paper in a very long time, but that certainly hasn't stopped us from building paper decks, gold fishing in our living rooms, Hunched over the coffee table, dude. This is this this deck. This deck lives on my coffee table. My new coffee table. Shout out to Crate and Barrel. Our posture is poor. Our cats annoying, but we still got to try to sequence our combos, and that's exactly what Chain has been doing with this week's deck. So before we really get into the meat of it, Chain, I gotta ask: Have you been winning against yourself? It's so easy to win when there's no one interacting with you. Um. Yeah, so yeah, well, Stan mentioned earlier, uh, we're talking about Heliod Combo this week. Heliod Company slash Combo slash uh, Winning a Lot deck. And we last visited this deck in episode 61. February of last year, the pre-pandemic times you are missed. Um, At that time, Heliod Company, as it was, I guess, more commonly referred to, uh, was good enough. We thought it warranted the deck dive treatment and... The deck had recently been given access to Heliod Suncrown out of Theros Beyond Death. It transformed it from the Vizier of Remedies Devoted Druid Infinite Mana combo into something a little bit different. These you know, v- Vizier Druid decks use the infinite mana of that combo to tutor up, kill with Walking Ballista, add some alternate combos to gain infinite life with like Viscera, Seer, and Kitchen Finks. Mm-hmm. Uh, these new builds of Heliod Company allowed for a really clean and fast infinite life combo. All you had to have was Heliod and Spike Feeder on the board if your opponent lacked interaction for Feeder uh, and a clean and fast infinite damage combo with Walking Ballista and Heliod Suncrowned. 
while still retaining that infinite mana combo of Druid and Vizier, along with some backup combos of uh, Seer and Finks for infinite life if you wanted. So if you don't know all these combos by heart, which I do not blame you, we don't have a lot of time to revisit them here. So maybe check out episode 61 if you want that deep dive treatment. But suffice it to say, this deck was attacking on a number of different angles. Uh, could make a bunch of different creature combos on the board to put the game out of reach for many opponents. But it was a bear to play on Magic Online. People frequently wouldn't automatically scoop to large amounts of life. Let's say you made like 200, right? It still wasn't necessarily an automatic win. Like, you know, prime time can attack through that in time. Uh, some decks don't care about it. Like, that made it challenging to, true, to determine the true power of this deck, I think, back in that range. Because when we were testing it, we had plenty of times where we were like, yeah, I, I made a bunch of life. It took me like seven, eight minutes. And, you know, the, the opponent just was able to attack through it. Or they, they milled me out or something like that, right? Made a bunch of zombie tokens with Field of the Dead. Oh, yeah, remember that? Two important cards have been printed into Modern since then, in 2020. It raised the efficiency and flexibility and the power level of the deck. The first one is Conclave Mentor, Magic 21 in June. Green-White Bear, 2-2. Uh, scales effect, where uh, it make an extra plus one, plus one counter is put on any creature receiving one of those. And Skyclave Apparition and Zendikar Rising in September, possibly one of the best white creatures ever printed. Um, a hugely flexible piece of interaction for white-based decks. Uh, note that I chose both of these cards to highlight in the spoiler episodes. So that's not true. Thank, thank me for making these. I mean, that is true. No, I, I refuse to believe it. Okay. Um, it's not surprising then to have seen Heliod combo as a consistent force in modern since the printing of Conclave Mentor, and especially since Skyclave Apparition was added. It's interesting, though, that Skyclave was not typically a main deck inclusion for quite some time, and I think we'll talk about why Skyclave has been able to move into the main uh, later on. Mm -hmm. So, Stan, I don't know if you noticed anything different than I did, but I kind of went back on like mtgdex.net, which, by the way, is a very cool site. I don't, I don't think it gets as much sort of press as like uh, Goldfish or MTG Top 8 or something like that. But I really like mtgdex.net. Um, and since summer of last year, it's been consistently 5-0-ing leagues, placing highly in challenges and prelims. But more recently, I'd say that Heliod Combo has been a consistent Tier 1 deck. And considered by some I've seen on, on Twitter who are winning with it, they're just like, this is the best deck in Modern by a good margin. And uh, the aforementioned mpgdex.net currently puts Heliod Combo as the second most popular and most winningest deck in Modern over the last two months and the first most popular in the last month. And that's an indication that this deck is both growing in uh, adoption and refinement of the strategy. And I think it's currently number one on Goldfish as yes. well. Yes. All right. So let's try to start talking about what it is about this deck that makes it so popular and strong right now. And I think this notion of refinement might be a big part of that. Um, we'll also get to this later, but also changes within the metagame itself has has potentially cleared the way for some, yeah. some former foes uh, that basically aren't around anymore. Yeah, I think it's it's important to remember that refinement doesn't happen in a vacuum. 
right? And and what I mean by that is that refinement could happen within an existing metagame, but then changes to the metagame that you're referring to allow the deck to become more refined because it has to worry about fewer things. That's something that we that I think we see in control decks where it's like, hey, as I understand the meta more and I understand the game plan I have to have, then I can refine my card selection. And I think that's what uh, one of the things that has been subtle yet important about this Heliod deck, mm-hmm. like what have you, what have you noticed, Dan? In terms of how the deck is refined, yeah, like we we talked. I mean, you you wrote an article about it a few months ago, and even the deck is subtly different now. I think, and like just a few cards here and there, and even that I think is important. So to be honest, the version I was playing in October is actually still pretty consistent, and I think where it's getting refined is that people are starting to understand what really makes a tick and what its strongest yeah. uh, tools are in getting the combo online um, and and really playing a potentially on-plan strategy game one that can also interact with opponents. So that's really where Skyclave comes in. But also yeah, for sure. recognizing the importance of turn one mana dorks, whether that's a Utopia Sprawl, an Arbor Elf, uh, sometimes that's are even playing Noble, yeah. Yeah, I think I saw a tweet just yesterday that was like yeah i this person clued me into like just having one extra dork and i this this is the truth like just having and i would agree where it's like you know how much ramp do you want a lot what kind of ramp do you want do you want the, the good sprawl kind. yeah do you want <laughs> do you want the sprawl arbor elf do you want sure birds of paradise and noble hierarch mostly noble i'm just adding color commentary while you speak thank you i appreciate it uh one of the things i really like is and I think this is one of the things that I'm sort of getting at is uh, the let's just let's just cut to the chase, Tam. We we February fifteenth of this year, yes. Field of the Dead, Mystic Sanctuary, Simeon Spirit Guide, Tibble's Trickery. I think most importantly, Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath were all banned from the format, and the shockwaves of this are being felt, and this landscape is being mapped out right now. But let's just like what does that what does that let this deck do? And I think one of those important things is. Scavenging Ooze is no longer main deck. And that was the kind of thing that you'd see two of often in this type of strategy, which is like, okay, cool. Like, okay, I'm, I'm going to eat something out of the graveyard. I'm going to get a counter. Maybe it's two counters. Like putting a counter on things is good in this deck when I have a scales effect, right? Uh, maybe I'm growing this, this card to be huge. And it's like, well, you know what you get to run instead? Four Oriok champions. Oh, yeah. And let me tell you, Stan, and I think you can tell me, how good is Oriok Champion over Scavenging Ooze when it comes to making this deck work game one? Oriok Champion is insanely important. Not yeah. only because it supports the deck in gaining you life and, and occasionally even giving you extra white pips for white devotion for your Heliod, yeah. but it's also just an incidental sideboard card that you have access to in game one against a lot of very popular decks in the field right now. Yeah. I mean, what, like we've got Prowess... Burn. Really shores up the game against prowess because, like, even yes. more than burn, they want to get their damage in on their creatures. So if you're like, okay, I don't care that you have a five six, I'm just going to block it, type thing. That's very handy. And and then like black removal decks, uh, very helpful against that because it's like it's almost like a conclave mentor that you can't kill with a fatal push, right? Or a lightning bolt. Yes, exactly. So it's like it's part of like your engine that is hard to interact with. Um, and then previously is the kind of thing where it's like, I went back, I was surprised how far Oriok Champion was like a three of, or mm-hmm. like a, at least a two of, like it always has been there, 
But it, I think that it was the kind of thing that people were like, well, I got to run these scavenging ooze. Right. So I'm, I'm going to, I guess I'll shave on Oriok champion. And I think that one, the removal of Uro, well, just, let's just combine these two sections, right? The removal of Uro um, al- allowed us to say, okay, well, we're going to see probably more prowess, potentially maybe some like more shadow interactive style decks. And so one, we don't have to worry about eating an Uro game one with our scavenging ooze. And two, the Oriok champion, like you said, Stan is inherently good against these types of strategies. Yeah. So it's like, I don't care that you have a gigantic death shadow. I'm going to block it all day. I don't care that you have a you know a huge monastery Swiss beer. I'm going to block it all day. Yeah, and I, I I think that we should spend a little bit of time on this February 15th banning because not only did it get rid of Uro, but Field of the Dead and Mystic Sanctuary, I think, are two more cards that helped Heliod basically uh, issue some really problematic matchups of the past. Issue! So, you know, when we talk about Infinite Life on MTGO, unless you're really willing to spend five to ten minutes clicking, you're not really getting to more than like a hundred life or so. At least that's me, Shane. I don't, I don't know. Can you relate? Like, I'll spend a minute, I'll get to a hundred, and, and that's it. Yeah. You get yourself, if the person's not going to scoop, you have to stop at some point. Right. So I think Field of the Dead was nice in those situations because eventually you could make enough zombies, which grow exponentially, to actually beat whatever life total the Heliod opponent was going to get themselves to. So that's yeah. part one. Yeah, so one of those one of those frustrating things about Magic Online, where you you can't you can't demonstrate infinite loops, and so that makes certain strategies a little bit more complicated to win with. Part two, I think, as we found in our testing, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about one of the strongest strategies against Heliod is just regular old control and Uro and Mystic Sanctuary both being present within control was something that Mystic Sanctuary not being around to have those cryptic loops to be able to counter every single spell that Heliod plays, that's out of the picture. And Uro being the super flexible card that can go into practically any mid-range or control strategy that could then be tuned to a metagame or tuned to a very specific threat. Whether or not every single Uro deck was good against Heliod, I don't think is the case. But you could basically build your control mid-range deck to beat Heliod and always count on Uro to be this excellent card against the field and one of the best creatures, if not the best creature in the format, period. Yeah, I I think one of the one of the things I actually saw, I think, today was uh, McWinsauce, a preeminent, very good control-focused mage on, uh, on, on Magic Online and also on Twitter. I believe the, one of the things they were saying, I think a little bit tongue-in-cheek today, was, you know, good bands, you know, because um, good bands, Watsy, because... Control is essentially out of the picture right now. Control is not doing very well. And I think the fact in modern in modern and one of the one of the issues that that causes, like you said, Stan, I think, is that if a deck can counter a lot of what Heliod is doing and counter the important spells, I think we'll talk about this a little bit later, too, of course, is uh, if if you're able to counter counteract what Heliod's doing and and keep and keep them off their tempo then you're kind of going to be able to turn the corner and win that game because you know what matters for Heliod to resolve. And Heliod doesn't have a lot of tools to say, uh, this is uncounterable, anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to sort of out outvalue them in terms of the cost of their spells, like, like a, a two-mana counter spell versus a four-mana collected company is not going to win you the game as the Heliod player. 
because you're spending more mana than your opponent. Your opponent's going to be able to turn the corner, get that card advantage, planeswalker, uh, have the mana advantage, and be able to keep you off of what you're trying to do. If control is out of the game, like it is right now, I think that's one of the reasons that we're seeing Heliod be very powerful is that when it comes to one-for-one removal, when something's on the board, Heliod has a significant advantage when if there's a resolved creature versus a spell on the stack. And I think we'll talk about that in some of our matchup testing that we did with each other and versus uh, the field of magic online as well is like what what matters in terms of interacting with Heliod. Mm -hmm. And I think when the spell is on the stack, it's a lot easier to get advantage as the opponent. Um, And if that's slightly out of the, uh, the play field right now, because of controls nerfing, then we're in a little bit of a, that's one of the reasons I think we see Heliod doing so well right now. So one of the, one of the goals in making this episode was, to play a bunch of Heliod and take note of what was able to beat us. And and I'm, I think importantly, Stan, we got to play each other. Th- That's th- not typically what we get to do. Yes. And that was really fun. I'm going to pull back the curtain just a little bit. And I had a hard time with one of our intended goals because while I was playing Heliod, I was just winning a lot. And... I don't think that's my Tim Tebow in here. I don't think that's my Team Tebow skills. I think that speaks very much to what this deck is capable of and how it has, um, whether it's favorable matchups or just really powerful conditions that are must answer for matchups uh, that, you know, if an opposing deck can't win in a certain position or can't disrupt in a certain position, you just, the Heliot player just wins out of nowhere. Yeah, I think it speaks to the current strength of the deck, right? Which is, and I think that's like I said, where it's like resolved. This deck has so many resolvable threats that require certain types of interaction at certain times and almost like a splinter twin esque uh, ability to say like, you need to alter the tempo of your game plan so much that it's going to uh, allow me to get false tempo uh, kind of like a Jerry, a Jerry term there, um, which is like, you know, as a prowess, as a prowess player, you're going to say like, well, I got to keep up this instant speed. I got to keep up this bolt. I got to keep up, you know, I got to keep access to what's that? The one mana flashbackable, uh, lava, lava spike, lava, lava, flash, lava dart, lava dart. Yeah. I got to make this lava dart around. I got to keep this lava dart around. And it's like, well, then that makes my prowess creatures suck. And so it's like, you know, maybe two to three turns of, of tempo disadvantage that you can find yourself. You know, I found myself when I was playing burn. Um, I think burn a little bit of a spoiler. I think burn has play against Heliod, but it dramatically alters the way that you have to approach that matchup. And I think that's kind of one of the things that I think you're getting at Stan, which is like, if you want to think about beating Heliod uh, with the decks that you can play right now is what do I need to think about? And how do I need to think about approaching my game plan uh, to disrupt what they're doing? Yeah. So how about let's start with a little bit of matchup spread. And I'm going to throw out a couple matchups that I felt were actually favored against Heliod in, in my limited testing. The rare favored matchup. Blue-white control. I, yeah. I, th- I think a counterspell-based deck is actually pretty good. Even things like Mana Leak and Remand For sure. were really powerful. And playing any spell from the Heliod side into open blue-white mana, really, really scary. Especially yeah. when the control player knows what your most valuable spells are. 
they can let you resolve a mana dork, but they're not going to let you resolve Ranger Captain or Heliod yeah. or other combo pieces. Yeah, it's like, do I care about Conclave Mentor? No, not really. What I do care about is that Spike Feeder, and you know, what I mean, and like, and like you said, Stan, it's like the 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 logic nod or the remand or the mana leak mm-hmm. or anything like that. Is there's a lot of options for getting tempo and mana advantage back out of that. Another deck that I felt was generally favored, unless I was on the play and had a crazy turn three kill, was Green Tron. Yeah, so they Green Tron is not known for its creature interaction right. necessarily. Like, I mean, I imagine that it's running a little bit more right now because of the prevalence of Heliod, where it's like I'm gonna fit as many uh, what warping whales or whatever the the one and a colorless uh, minus three minus three spell is or whatever. So I think there's a couple of things that Green Tron has access to that are really good here. One is just on, especially on the play, a turn three Karn Liberated, being able to exile any permanent, whether it's a Heliod or a land, and and starting to reduce the Heliod player's available resources, I think is really important and and just powerful in the matchup. But also, I think Karn the Great Creator is quite good, not only because of his Stony Silence effect. But because you're able to grab really powerful sideboard technology, which is something that Heliod is just generally vulnerable to. Yeah, I mean, and of course, Tron gets to run some dope sweepers, just like a blue. I mean, Tron, of course, is uh, colorless control, as I'm fond of saying. And so you get to run things like all this dust, like Oblivion Stone. Yeah. Uh, Those are challenging for heliod decks to interact with especially as they've continued to shave like knight of autumn i don't i haven't seen in any deck in quite some time and that's the kind of card that i used to see a little bit more often in these type of builds yeah also the last deck that i'll i'll posit as favorable against heliod blue black mill yeah i mean mill's legit in in that way because it's like it can beat infinite life and anything that can beat infinite life is going to have more of a game against this because if you take infinite life off the table, infinite damage is a little bit more challenging to execute with this deck, mm-hmm. I think. I agree. I do think, though, that what Blue Black Milk can do is not only does it have its alternate win condition that doesn't care about your life total, but they have surgical effects. So once they've milled you a couple times, it's not uncommon for them to surgical a Heliod or a Spike Feeder or almost any other combo piece and gain a ton of momentum and tempo that way too so tron blue white mill i think if you get paired up against heliod you probably feel pretty good yeah Matt- where's where's craig when we need him you know what i mean <laughs> he's probably farming tickets right now it's <laughs> a good point craig get on magic online all right friend. here are some decks that i think are a little bit more even where they're very skill intensive and even though heliod can just win out of nowhere i think skilled opponents can navigate the matchup mm-hmm. um to beat the heliod deck And the first one I'll throw out there is Jund Death Shadow. Yeah, I have not played this particular matchup. I Honestly, man, I have not played with or against Jund Death Shadow in a minute, even though we've been testing a little bit more uh, modern lately. What does this look like to you? Like, what do you think this looks like in terms of the the matchup? So I think the best cards in Jund Death Shadow are the Hand Disruption and maybe big early Shadows or Goyfs. Where I, yeah, because a lot, a lot of what you're doing with this deck is is three CMC or, or more, right? So like you're not the your your two your two mana setups 
are, your two mana cards are setup cards. They are part of the engine, but they're not the payoffs. Your payoffs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are three and four mana, frequently because your, your Heliod, excuse me, your walking ballista is typically going to be, often going to be cast for four mana, or you want to have two mana left up type thing right so so two mana and you want to have two mana left up to give it lifelink off of the heliod right if you have a conclave out you can just play it for two save two yeah. mana for but still four it's still four mana worth of stuff to the combo and yeah. so so having a, a grip of thoughtsies a grip of inquisition lets you punch that hole in your opponent's hand where they're like well my three mana play whether that's even turn two or not, whether that was you know assisted with a mana elf or a utopia sprawl or something like that, the opponent has a number of opportunities to punch important holes in your hand, which is what those spells are intended to do, and which is what makes them so potent against con- the combo type strategies like we're playing. Here's why I think that it's not yet favored for Jun Death Shadow, and that's yeah. because I think this deck and the other deck we're going to talk about in a second are actually very vulnerable to infinite life or a hundred life for that matter, because these are ultimately just, you know, cheap creature aggro decks. So Mm -hmm. if you have a massive life total, eventually you're going to keep that game going long enough that you find some combo out to go off with ballista or make a massive spike feeder. Yeah. I mean, that gets at kind of the tempo, the, the false tempo issue we talked about earlier, which is like, okay, I'm Jun Death Shadow. I can't tap out Mm -hmm. because you can Coco. And I can't counterspell that. I don't have stubborn denial here. I'm, I can't ever leave. I have to have at least access to fatal push. Yes. Or something like that. Right. Or maybe multiple interactive spells when it comes to something like spike feeder. Yeah. I mean, you do, you do have K command. I, I think K command is, is one of those good spells in the matchup because it can potentially two for one. If you have a ballista and a, a two, two out. But. Right on. But yeah, I think like you said is like, well, yeah, Jun Death Shadow can hand interact with the hand, can put a clock down, but it still has to be a there's a balance there. And that's one of the issues that uh this deck does create. And I think that that comes up in the next matchup that I think is potentially favorable, and that's Burn, which is like so Burn I think has plenty of game and we actually tested that we did like a we did a best of 3 on this, which was which was fun. Um and Burn has a lot of options in terms of how it approaches the Heliod matchup, but it has to dramatically change the way it thinks about winning the game, which is fine. Like, you're not going to win as Burn by beating down every last time. And I think this, the Heliod deck, I think that, the excuse me, the Heliod matchup, uh, you have to actually become the control in a lot of ways, especially on the draw and I think there's there's a few games where you can sort of play the aggro. Like, let's say I have two goblin guides and three interactive spells or something like that, where it's like, okay, I'm going to put the clock on you, which is very helpful because it gives you a few fewer turns to win the game. But there were a lot of those hands, and we talked about this, Dan, where it's like, okay, I've got two bolts, a searing blaze, and you know some other random thing like a lightning helix or something like that, where it's like, is this what I need to keep? Because you're going to run me out of these spells and they're not going to your dome. So it's like, what am I actually doing? Like, you're just going to run me out of these cards. You're going to be at 12 life and you're going to eventually win the game. And it's like, what did I do here? Yeah. So, you know, I played against Burn a few times outside of our collective testing. And mm-hmm. one thing that I found interesting was how other players played the matchup. Because, yeah. you know, we had started to 
get into one another's head, right? And I think one of the things that my other opponents were doing differently than you was not playing control, but rather forcing me to tap out or or forcing me to try to race them and then punishing me for tapping out and then spending, you know, three or four one mana burn spells all in the yeah. same turn. Because the reason why I think why Heliod can have a favorable matchup is obvious. Infinite life is just crazy against burn. But what's interesting, yeah. pretty good. What's interesting again in burn's repertoire though, is that a, it has a bunch of anti life gain cards. Yes. Sometimes, key. sometimes it has Skullcrack main definitely has it on the side. We're also seeing uh roiling vortex in the side now, which I think is a really powerful tool in the matchup. Yeah. I mean that won me a game versus you straight up. I was like, that was a really cool one. And that, that, that was surprising for me, honestly, because um, I had had it in a previous game in one of our matches. And I think I was on the draw that game. And because I think match three I actually won the die roll. And so I won game one, you won game two, game three I was on the play. I was able to get Rolling Vortex down early. And that then then allowed me to play a very slow tempo game against you where it's like I was not I had you know I had like four or five cards in hand right and they were like things like skull crack things like lightning helix maybe like a searing blaze something like that where it's like my only goal was to be able to turn on roiling vortex and grind you out of the game because you really don't have a lot of ways to win like I can chump block here and there if I need to and all I really have to do is get you low enough so that I can burn you out Mm-hmm. with a few burn spells while also keeping you off of the ability to gain life. And that was really important. And I was actually a little bit surprised by that because it felt like one one or two games earlier, I was like, this feels a little slow. Like I've got to have a lot of mana. Like he can win on turn three pretty easily, turn four, you know, almost all the time. And it's like, well, am I going to have enough mana and the tempo opportunity to slip this card in Yeah, and have the mana available to... to to enable it with red with one even one or two red because sometimes you have to keep them off the life gain twice yeah i mean i think what's interesting also about this matchup is that heliod has oriac champion game one and that's a sideboard card right yeah and that's the kind of thing like every time you played it it just made my 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 beat down game plan that much harder yes and and i think what's i think this is one of the more interesting matchups we're talking about which is i think where we can focus on a little bit and it's like for the burn player, it's very much dependent on the texture of your hand. And that's kind of like a very stereotypical thing to say, right? Or just kind of like corny thing to say. It's like, well, based on what you draw, it's depending on how you play the game. It's like, yeah, if you open up with like two Swift Spear and a Goblin Guide and like maybe one or two interactive spells, then yeah, you know that what your game plan is going to be is more aggressive than less because you need to, you want to pressure the opponent. And even if they get that Oriok down is you can go around it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, or they can even or like path or, it. yeah or path it which is really nice or skull crack oh yeah like, you know Let, let's talk yeah. about skull crack really quick and the interaction between skull crack and oriok because yeah that confused you me that. that confused you me. forgot about it you forgot about dre forgot about dre think i sold them all stan so oriok having pro red you think that you can block red creatures for days but there's a very important line of text on the card Skullcrack, which is damage can't be prevented this turn. And that won me a game as well against uh, Burning... Uh, uh, what's not Burning Tree Emissary? Against Oriok. No, it won me, won me the game with your Burrington Forge Tender. Oh, sure, because sure, Because sure. I sandbagged, I knew that I had you within lethal, and I knew that... Uh, so what I, I cast, like, the Helix on your dome, you sacked the Forge Tender, 
and then I cast a Skullcrack. And so basically what Stan's getting at is you cannot prevent damage. Damage cannot be prevented is the second sentence on uh, Skullcrack. And so not only does it prevent life gain, it also takes away the ability of damage to be prevented, which is one of the aspects of protection. So while you cannot be targeted as Oriac Champion with a red spell, if a creature attacks and then is blocked by Oriac Champion and someone skull cracks your dome, uh, your Oriac can no longer has a damage prevention aspect of protection and can then die. I guess the one thing we learned, maybe the pin we'll put on, on this burn versus heal out conversation is spike feeder is a really problematic card for the burn player as well even if you oh don't dear. have the it's combo the worst the worst because spike feeder can be activated at instant speed and if you play it without any extra counters say you don't have a conclave mentor out that gives it a, a third counter it's always going to gain you at least four life yeah, it's like a three for one right and if your opponent is trying to remove it they have to spend multiple spells to do that yeah, it's it's almost it's almost like a good game simply because it's like I mean a three for one is very hard to come back from. So like you said, it's like that's kind of what I was getting at earlier. Is like the the uh, the spell on the board, like the creature on the board, is so much worse than it being on the stack because on the stack it's just a one for one, right? Like you counter that and you get to move on. If that resolves against burn with a heliod down, well you're like okay, I have to interact with this with like okay I'll path it. Then they'll gain life. Then I'll bolt it. Then they'll gain life. So it's like they, you know, the opponent's able to gain four life while you do, while you spend two of your removal spells to get rid of it. And so that's just a huge swing and very, very hard to come back from. Whereas like it gets at the rolling vortex thing, which is like if I have a rolling vortex down and the opponent resolves a uh, a uh, spike feeder, it's it's still the one for one, and it's just kind of like a tempo game at that point. Um, all right. So those are some of the decks. I mean, we could talk about death and taxes as just being a way to actually pressure Heliod's resources. So that's why they may have an occasional, even if not favorite matchup, especially post-board. I think hammer time is also up there for debate just because it can win on turn two or three. And if it's on the play, it'll just sometimes get under the Heliod player because the Heliod player doesn't really want to block. All of its early creatures are, are very important to the combo. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I think that you're getting at San is like the one of the issues of the Heliod combo is that it can outrace other combo decks. Like mm-hmm. if it's like, I mean, it's kind of like a play a draw scenario where it's like, it's, yeah. it's yet another turn three, more like turn four reliable combo where if you're not interacting with Heliod, it will likely win very quickly. And some other combo decks in the format are kind of on the same pace, but maybe not as reliable at some times. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons why we've been seeing a little bit of an uptick in like Mardu Stoneblade style decks, I think it is in part a response to Heliod because they have a bunch of main deck hand disruption between Inquisition and Thought Seizes as well as Liliana's and main deck Path to Exile as well as the Edict Effect on Kaius Guile can sometimes get around Oriok Champion, which is a card that beats up on other red-black strategies. Yeah, again, it's just one of those like disruption with a clock yeah. type things. Like you can't you cannot give this deck time because it will just continue to draw into options. And that's the major threat, I think, of this deck is that it's so redundant and has so many ways to put together a win that you cannot really hope, in my opinion, 
to just stop like just try to interact with its spells because especially because so many of the removal spells are two or three from ones um once the once the creature is resolved all right so let's talk about some specific cards that Please. we that we really like against heliod right because we're trying to help people win in that's a good point what might be a very difficult matchup for them we we mentioned them anti-life gain cards i think are really important if you're in red skull crack or maybe more likely roiling vortex super powerful yeah. And I think, I mean, briefly again, I think that that requires thinking about your game differently. Like, just be prepared to not burn your opponent out and just trust that you can lean on a card like Roiling Vortex. That just trust that you can use the mana, and if you keep your opponent from being able to gain life at all, you'll be fine, and then you'll be able to have a, have a turn where you win, and you'll be okay. Like, you just have to be able to trust that. That's not going to happen all the time. That'll happen enough that you'll be glad that you sideboarded two or three copies. The next group of cards that I think are really important worth talking about are Pithing Needle Effect cards. Okay, so what are you doing with those? You're shutting down activated abilities. Such as? Where do I begin? So there's the Stony Silence cards. Karn, Collector Oof, Stony Silence itself. These all shut down Walking Ballista, which is one of the combo payoffs for Heliod. Yeah, that's the damage-based one. Pithing Needle, Sorceress, Spyglass, Phyrexian Revoker, and why not throw in a Linvala Keeper of Truth just for fun? These can actually stop the Heliod ability. It can also stop the Spike Feeder ability. Or, heck, you can even stop Ballista with it, if that's the card you're really worried about in the matchup. So this does not stop the triggered ability, but it stops the life gain giving one in a white activated ability. Essentially what it does is it prevents you from doing any abilities that require you to click on a creature. Oh, can't be clicking. So you can't click on your spike feeder. You can't click on your Heliod. You can't click on your Ballista. If those are the cards you name with any of these pieces that I just referenced. Got it. So you would suggest naming, you would suggest naming Heliod or spike feeder. I I think naming spike feeder is usually pretty important with your first Mm. one. And then naming Heliod with the second one is, is probably GG. Assuming, okay. assuming they don't flood the board and just beat you down with a five-five indestructible because they have you know a couple Skyclave apparitions and uh, Ranger Captain of Eos. Now that gameplay, that that game pattern would never happen. All right, we mentioned control being a good matchup, and I think counterspells and the f- counterspell friends are really good in Heliod matchups. So. Let's say you're like in a blue-red or a blue-black deck, right? Maybe you're not all in on counterspells in game one, but you can side in some counterspells. I think those types of cards, anything from Mana Leak to Remand to Cryptic Command, are all going to be really good at stopping this combo or just buying you enough time to get under it. Stifle effects are similar in that way because being able to stifle a single Heliod trigger might buy you the turn you need to win. And... I'm just going to throw this one out there. I was really impressed by one blue-white opponent I had, Vendillion Click. If you play Vendillion Click at instant speed at the right time, you can get an important combo piece out of my hand. Like, V-Click on oh, my is upkeep. That, is, that a, is that a legal spell on Modern? Yeah. And now it's only like $2. <laughs> oh my gosh. The changing face of Modern. All right. Here's another class of cards I want to throw at you, Shane. Torpor Orb Effects. Never heard of it. What does it do? So these are cards that prevent... Triggered abilities from occurring when a creature enters the battlefield. Well, it doesn't sound like it does anything against this deck, Stan. So it's really good in the situations where you have a Conclave Mentor out. Mm -hmm. And I think if you even have something like Blight Beetle, which used to be 
um, Pioneer technology against that Heliod deck, something yes, that prevents counters sure. from coming on. This class of cards, it's not the perfect silver bullet, but I think you bring him in. So Hushbringer, Tokatli, Honor Guard, Topor, Orb, or if you're really if you're in green and you're really trying to shut down Heliod, Blight Beetle too. All right, um, last one in this group, in this little mini section of cards that are good against Heliod, Surgical Effects. So although Surgical Extraction itself might not always be good enough unless you're playing a deck with hand disruption that can actually put combo pieces into the graveyard guaranteed. I was really impressed with other surgical effects that can just strip the combo out of the deck. Unmoored Ego, really good if you just get every Heliod or every Spike Feeder. Lost Legacy, Infinite Obliteration, those style of cards where it's like, name something, search opponent's hand, graveyard and library, get him the heck out of here. I think I think those are good tools to yeah, have yeah. against something like Heliod. Or, or basically any combo deck, really. And, and I think that's one of the things that is important to remember that while Heliod might not be vulnerable to something like Damping Sphere, it is generally vulnerable to a lot of the stuff that combo tends to be soft to. Should we talk about Infinite Life? I mean, it's one of the ways this deck wins. That's right. And I think it's one of the things that makes this deck really scary. But there are some ways to beat Infinite Life. Yeah, I think that's important to know is like that there are strategies that don't have to scoop to it. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing where it's like that, that'll win you, I don't know, one of the five, ten percent of your games. Absolutely. So certain planeswalkers will do it. The ultimate on Jace the Mind Sculptor, the ultimate on Teferi Hero of Dominaria, and uh the ultimate on Karn Liberated. Those are all cards that yeah. basically don't care about opponent's life total. So the first two, you have to be in blue, and the last one, you have to be in Tron. But that's something that you can just look out for in general. Can I maybe beat Heliod with some kind of uh, Planeswalker that maybe I can protect or the Heliod player will have a hard time answering if I'm able to maintain some amount of control of the board in my matchup? Yeah. And I believe infinite damage. Like if you can create an infinite damage loop, I believe a magic online, you're going to have a little bit of an argument on this. There's no judge to back you up. But in paper, infinite damage does beat infinite life. Uh, almost always. Yeah, I, I, if you can demonstrate that, I believe that's our our in chat judge has told us that's how judge judges usually rule those conditions. Yes, and I think like we mentioned earlier, Stan, is there's some kind of alternate ways to win a game that Infinite Life is just like okay, who cares? Or it's like like you said, Mill, mm-hmm. uh, Thassa's Oracle, or what like Lab Man yeah. type wins. Uh, Jace wielder of mysteries type wins. Anything that's like, well, like okay, like my 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 decks, my uh, excuse me, my library is empty. I'm winning, uh, or you have no ability to draw off of your library because it's gone because of mill uh, poison. Whether that's you know, uh, I can win with poison as infect or something like that. Great call. Totally forgot about infect. Well, that's uh, that's mostly due to uh, chat member Motown Lush, who I actually don't know who that is. So shout out to you, <laughs> Motown Lush. Wow, it's a good thing that we now have turned our podcast into a talk show and we can have some audience engagement. Yeah, I mean, this is, we are now, um, what are we? we we're we winning because of chat. We have outside advantage. So don't call us, don't call the judge on us. All right, let, let's take a second to talk about how to interact against this deck because this is really important. I, this is really important because, like this, this is slightly tricksy. Sometimes you're just kind of out of luck, yes, and you're like you're you're burning a couple spells. But I think that there are ways to uh, save yourself a little bit of headache by knowing what and when 
to interact with your opponent who's playing Heliod. Especially because I think this is where most decks are at. You know, like if you're just a your standard kind of mid-rangey modern player, which I think is a really popular place to be, whether you're playing Prowess or Jund or Sto- Jeskai Stoneblade, I think figuring out how you're going to interact with your opponents and what they're doing or what type of technology you can bring into your 75 if you're worried about Heliod is really important because there's also various ways to interact with different parts of the Heliod plan. And the first one, most obvious in any interactive strategy, is just what you have to spend your removal spells on. Yeah. And this deck's a little bit tricky because it presents a lot of traditional threats that you might think are must-removes, and then it presents literal must-removes or you lose the game. And it's hard to know when and how to do that. Like, I think one of the things that we've talked about this episode is, is mana dorks, and whether that's an Arbor Elf or a Noble Hierarch, or maybe if it's like a, a bird's strategy that's not playing, like the Utopia Sprawl type thing. You have to think about your whole game plan at that point, like on turn one. It's like, well, okay, if they have access to three mana, what can they do? How fast is my clock otherwise? Do I need to take them all? How much removal do I have in hand? What does my hand look like and then my, the, my deck look like? And do I have sweepers that can maybe clean this up a little bit later? Like, can I fall behind on tempo now to gain it up later? Do I need to take them off of this mana dork so that in like three turns I can play a sweeper? Because I know if I take them off of this single extra piece of mana that they won't be able to win before I can cast my Supreme Verdict or something like that. So there's just a lot of things, I think, with that first mana dork that you have to think about. And it really comes down to how much removal you might have as a burn deck, right? Like, am I am I a am I a two bolt and a searing blaze hand where it's like, I know that if I take them off this dork, I'm going to have backup for that spike feeder, perhaps in like two or three turns. Um, or am I do I need that mana dork off or do I need to play a threat like a goblin guide that I know they can't block because the only way I'm going to win this game is if I'm able to spend burn on their dome, then kill off these mana dorks and you just have to kind of cross your fingers. Yeah. That being said, you don't want to leave those removal spells rotting in your hand, right? Like being able to try to buy some tempo, whether it's killing dorks or whether it's killing spike feeders is important. It's up to you to decide which ones to spend your removal on or what you actually can remove. Like if you're a fatal push deck and you can't activate revolt, like use it on that dork and and potentially buy yourself a turn or two that way. Yeah, it's a good point because, you know, fatal push can't hit a three drop typically. Right. This is a creature combo deck at the end of the day. So another way to interact is with their resources in general, okay? So we mentioned taxes. Something like Leon and Arbiter is pretty good here um, with Ghost Quarter just because you're stripping their um, their mana in their resource engine and potentially preventing them from doing some kind of searching later on. Sometimes these decks run Eladomri's Call. It's a little bit out of favor, but they're almost always running Ranger Captain of Eos these days. But also, Heliot Company, it runs about 22 lands and then eight or nine dorks. So that's why... You know, pressuring their resources by killing dorks early is really important. Um, And I think one of the things that I found really interesting, especially in the burn matchup, is that the mana here is pretty painful. I'm only running about four basics, and then you have a fetch shock mana base, and you're also running horizon canopies. So sometimes you need to spend those horizon canopies, so you're doing like some amount of damage to throughout the game. I never mind it. Like when you're like, uh, I got to play this untapped temple garden, and I'm like, sweet. That's like two-thirds of a burn card. Yeah. And I was up against one opponent who played 
um, cleansing wildfire against me. And I think even that is fine, though I get a basic back for that. This deck wants its dual lands to stick around because you have Spike Feeder, which is one GG, and you have Skyclave Apparition, which is one white white. And because sometimes you may be in a position where your mana can't cast some of these double pip spells, being able to, you know, mess with Heliod's resource package could potentially buy you enough time to to get under them as well. All right, so of course we can interact with the stack. Counterspells, obvious tool here, but cards that can potentially keep ETB triggers in check can slow down the Heliod combo deck, if not stopping them cold. And then of course you can always interact with the hand, one of the best strategies against combo decks. Thoughtseize is good against everything, but Inquisition of Kozilek is great against Heliod because all of the important pieces here are three CMC or less. Coco is your only four CMC card. Stan, what would you suggest if an opponent inquisitions or thought seizes? There's like so is is Heliod like tier one, spike feeder tier two? Like or is it just like is it not that easy in terms of like rules? I think you take out Heliod with the hand disruption spells if you're choosing between the two because Heliod is harder to answer once it's on the board. It's very hard. Whereas Spike Feeder, I mean, you'll get it with an Abrupt Decay if you need to. Maybe they'll gain four life in that exchange, but that's better than the infinite life that, you know, an unanswered Heliod is going to gain them. And that's one of the major strengths of this deck, I think, going back to it, is like how you can sort of, you, you can play Heliod out and just assume it's going to survive so often yes and that's one of the things that this deck allows you to do that a lot of other creature combo decks couldn't like when i was playing vizier druid combo it's like well i gotta play one of these i'm gonna play this card and just kind of hope you know what i mean like uh, maybe maybe it's kind of like that three card combo where it's like giver of runes into druid into vizier type thing where it's like well that was a lot of work and Heliod can just sort of hang out and threaten a lethal, like unt- an, a lethal uh, collected company or something like that almost at any time. You know, Shane, we didn't play a bunch yeah, of mirror. <laughs> Wait, Shane, that is you? Oh, oh it's, 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 it's me. It's me, Dave. Dave has a much more buttery voice than that. <laughs> um, there's some really important technology that we're seeing in these Heliod sideboards now that I think is specifically for the mirror match. Um, the, one, yeah. the one we'll call out is Deicide. Oh, yeah. Cool card. One in a white Throwback instant. To, uh, what, is that like? Is that is that a Born of the Gods? No, Journey into Nyx, renowned, overpowered set. Journey into Nyx. That's right. Yeah, it's a one and one, one and a white instant exile target enchantment. If the exiled enchantment card is a god, you surgical them. Search their library, hand, and graveyard for any number of cards of that name and exile them. So yeah. that would not exist in any deck sideboard if not for Heliod. And I would say that it's yeah. so good against Heliod. That if you're playing white, maybe put a Deicide into your sideboard or two. Yeah, I mean, right now, why not? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's probably not costing you too much. Like, you can probably assume you're going to see Heliod fairly often. Uh, and if you get this, if you get this down, you're likely going to win. So yeah, ma- go for it. Maybe maybe not for league play, but if you're going to sign up for like a modern challenge or another big oh, modern yeah, tournament, and you're a white deck, Deicide might be a good call. Yeah. Skyclave Apparition, another great tool in the mirror match because it, again, answers any permanent, including Heliod. Yeah, I mean, that's a good card. Also, answering Heliod is very clutch. Part of the reason that Skyclave Apparition is so good is that it's just so flexible. And Path to Exile, of course. 
Oh yeah, good card. It's, I mean, it's also good against um, the. It's good against the creatures that win the game. It's also good against some of the creatures that shore up the strategy, like Oriok Champion. If you're playing uh, Boros Burn or something like that, you're like you. You love to see a path to exile. Okay, so that's a lot of cards. That's a lot of decks, and that's a lot of ideas and how we can actually compete with with. Stan, remember how we said we're going to go under two hours? I, God. What are we at? I think we're at like one fifty. We can't help ourselves. This always happens. I just love you too much. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's close this out with just like some high level conversations about where we really think this deck is at. What is it actually saying about modern? Yeah. And do we think this deck is overpowered? It's weird because it's hard to say that decks. Okay. Like let's say you asked this six months ago. People, no one's gonna say this deck's overpowered, right? Let's say you asked this even three months ago. No one's gonna say this deck is overpowered. What's interesting about this is that it reveals something about metagames and the modern metagame, which is this stuff's dynamic. And if you if you take out if you take out uh, a good good section of the metagame in terms of control and Euro based control, what ripples does it have on the metagame? And we're seeing that it puts a lot of pressure on other decks that interact in different ways than on the stack, right? So like like I keep getting at the onboard interaction versus Heliod is much different than on the stack interaction versus Heliod, and so what that what we see is then Heliod is able to take advantage of that and say, well, I'm going to three for one you burn derm deck. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna three for one you prowess deck or make prowess almost unable to win in a lot of ways against Heliod because it can't really afford to run skull cracks and you know an Oriok champion is gonna block that prowess creature so often. And so I think we're seeing a window in which Heliod is able to succeed in significant ways. But I do think that it's not an unstoppable force that is going to necessitate a ban because we do see the potential weaknesses that the creature, we know the potential weaknesses of creature combo decks. Um, And I think that we see people able to address it in certain interactive spells. The problem is, for me, I think is that this is a tempo problem. And I think that that is, that is more inherently challenging than the, the spells that might exist to do that. Right. It's like, how much, how much am I taking other people off of their game plan to prevent me from doing mine? And that's a splinter twin issue. And I'm not saying this is a splinter twin, but I'm saying it's similar. Oh yeah. You know, what's interesting to me though. You played, you played more than me this week. What were your experiences? What's interesting. They were good. Well, what's interesting, and I, I love waving this flag. We're talking about a deck that's really only been around for a year now, just about. And it exists because of a mono-white card, Heliod, that was empowered by a green-white card, Conclave Mentor, and then really elevated to where it's at right now because of another mono-white card, Skyclave Apparition. And I think it's really cool that we're getting this white technology that is creating powerful strategies that the metagame has to respect. Now, I'm not saying that alone is a reason not to ban something, but we need more diversity across the color pie. And I think having a powerful white deck is good. Also worth noting, when we look at all the cards that we've listed that are effective, if not excellent against Heliod, they exist in a ton of different colors and no shortage of them are colorless. And I think that's also really important that we have these tools that practically any deck can play and could potentially even remain on plan for whatever deck is using, you know, X, Y, or Z technology to try to beat upon Heliod. So we're not getting into a situation, you know, where we have to main deck surgical effects because of 
how insane Heliod is. I think the craziest thing about Heliod is that it gets to play main deck Oriok champion and almost potentially never loses to prowess because of that. Yeah. What like 40 us dollar Oriok champion. Like I, I think I have three for like my human sideboard and I never bought a fourth and I'm kicking myself. Like I I'm really going to, I'm going to have to play a worse version of this deck when I play it in paper, hopefully later this year. I mean, my long story short here is that it might be pushing the boundaries because players who aren't prepared or don't have, you know, some of the cards that are effective against Heliod may feel totally powerless in the matchup. And I think that sucks. Um, when you're in a situation where you feel like you just have no game because you don't happen to have a pithing needle effect or some removal spells. But if you do have a plan against Heliod, I don't think it's like all that hard to beat. And the fact that it can be beat with a, such a fair deck, which is blue white control, I think is one of the, I mean, I think burn burns good and burn. I mean, I yeah. think burns. I mean, burn is burn is a deck that a lot of people can play and it has, it's not a weird deck, right? This is not some like meta deck. This is just a deck that you can play and have a game plan and also have a game plan against Heliod. Right. And I think that that, I mean, I think it's also a fun game. Agreed. Like it's, it's fun. It's, it was a fun set of matches with you that required me to think about the way I'm playing my game in a different way. And so like, why not? I mean, I'm, I'm not, it's, it doesn't indicate that Heliod's healthy. It just indicates that mo- modern, like every format is a format that sometimes some decks are better than others. And this is one of the times when I think burn having a good matchup against Heliod makes it slightly better than it would be normally. Yeah. And that's fine. The real issue is, again, I think comes back to what is Heliod pushing out of the format? And I think that we'll have to, I think Watsi and we will have to take a look at what does the ongoing metagame look like? And is this a techable against deck uh, enough that it's it's fightable? And again, like, we'll, I think that's the kind of thing we'll see, like, how much is this deck tuning for the mirror? Are we seeing main deck deicides? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Which is just like that that will be like the death knell because then it'll be like when uh what when Phoenix was running main deck surgicals. Yeah, I think it is really noteworthy that both burn and control have game against this. So you have like very fast aggro and very slow fair control, and they're both decent choices against this creature combo deck. I think that's the type of thing that kind of maybe reveals to us that this deck is powerful and fine but it's not necessarily so powerful that the whole metagame needs to get warped around it and it looks like in the sunday modern challenge it didn't even make the top eight so well it's clearly uh passe move on this episode stinks (laughs) not even necessary maybe we can talk about heliod again this time next year but until then that wraps up this week's show we didn't even need dave why did we kill it i mean Why did, why did we call him into work on a Sunday night? <laughs> All right. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast, pick our brain on something in Magic the Gathering, you can tweet us at the Dive Down, all one word, or email the Dive Down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Dive Down. You can also support the show via Mana Traders by signing up for a Mana Trader subscription to rent Magic Online cards. If you use coupon code the Dive Down, all one word, when you subscribe, you'll get 15% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. We get a little kickback too. If you play Magic Arena, you can support us by downloading the Untapped Companion software over at untapped.thedivedown.com. 
You don't have to spend any money when you download Untapped, and we get a little kickback from that as well. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and gain infinite love!